I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Friday, the 4th of November, news of the World T20 in a short while. But today, we're going to focus for a little bit on a new film which is coming out on Saturday, the 5th of November, on Sky Sports and then subsequently on Sky Documentaries as well. And I'm talking about it because it's a film that I've been heavily involved in. And I'm happy to say that my partner in this uh, production is here with me today. Uh, My great friend and next door neighbour, the director, Ashley Gething. Ashley, thank you for staggering all 20 yards down the road from your house. It was a huge effort, but somehow I made it. You did. Um, And we're going to talk about the, the process of making the film. It's called... The Greatest Game. We did it in collaboration with two other producers, Victoria Barrell and Simon Lazenby from Silver Entertainment. We are Starfield Films because, of course, we live in Starfield Road. And it's the film about England's World Cup triumph of 2019, really boring deeply into the stories of the players as well as, of course, of the final itself, which was an amazing, dramatic advert for the game of cricket, really. Now, Ashley, you've been a director for for many years in films and TV and so on. You've worked with Professor Brian Cox on a glacier in Iceland. You've been all around the world with Simon Sharma, I think, to Egypt or somewhere like that. You've also recently been filming an archaeological story in Iraq. So you really are quite well-travelled. So how does this project covering England's World Cup triumph of 2019 and all the backstories associated. How does that compare to the work you've done elsewhere? Well, I think the thing about making documentaries is it's about stories. And stories are always really about character and they're about drama. Um, and I suppose for me, one of the things 
that I'm always really interested in is like what's the human angle um, and where, where does the passion within a story lie and I would say that that's the backstory for me with the cricket game as you know is that I was in a hotel in Hyderabad filming a Netflix series came into the hotel bar halfway through the England innings in the World Cup final and I was with a cameraman called Neil who I think you know Neil Harvey and Neil doesn't know anything about cricket and so he kept saying to me what is happening and I just I couldn't tell him what was happening and he was like who's winning I'm like I have no idea who's winning and so the film or the final rather just unfolded as you know as we know in this most remarkable and unpredictable way and to all of Neil's questions I had no answers I came back home after the filming in India and said to you who's making a film about um, that amazing final and you said no one and that's really how the story began and I think you and I found that not only is there extraordinary sporting drama within the final of a kind that's almost unsurpassed really but also, as we delved into the characters, you know, in that team, we just found more and more rich stories. All these unexpected things cropped up. Like, you know, I, I think we always knew we were going to make a film about the final. But then when you started to meet the people who'd been instrumental in the players' lives, there was another dimension. The coaches, the mothers, the, the dads, you know, whoever it is, you know, there was a sort of rich kind of hidden storyline you know, in uh, was emerging through the filming process, you know, and also obviously the, you know, the players' individual backstories and all the kind of rich sort of um, individual paths they take into that final, which, as you know, and as the film explores, takes us through all sorts of really deep issues. It could be class, it could be, you know, your country of origin, it could be faith, it could be all sorts of things. So I feel I've never made a sports film before may never make another sports film again but I think within that final there are so many rich layers that talk about as as cricket does you know it's the it's the greatest game we think don't we it talks about a myriad of things on a myriad of levels at any one second within a game you know it depends how deeply you want to look and that's the glory of cricket that's the thing that you and I talk for years about you know, how do we realize that and I think um, that final gave us that opportunity to really explore the richness of cricket. We'll hear from one of those characters uh, that you mentioned uh, later actually in this show Mark Wood I've talked to him in Sydney and he's a, a very key character in this film actually because he kind of uh, embodies English cricket in so many ways doesn't he the fact that he actually wasn't a particularly outstanding player when he was 16. He wasn't particularly uh, distinguished. He wasn't in representative teams. Uh, he came through late. He talks, talks about himself being a late developer. He also was helped by the local community massively. And we feature in the film his coach, Stevie, who's been coaching forever and has had you know very little recognition until now, really. Um, so Woody's a, a classic character. So we're going to hear from him in the show a bit later about his career and about how the film, in a way, uh, encapsulated a lot of what he's achieved. What about the the end product? I mean, it's been three years in the making, this film. Um, we've had a few hurdles to overcome, not least COVID, of course. We've interviewed all the players. And this isn't a, a film where you interview players in front of a, a sponsor's billboard for you know 20 minutes or 
half an hour even. I mean, we've actually had two days with some players, haven't we? To try and really get their a, a deeper idea of their story and their all the people and, and places that have influenced them. What what about the end product? I mean, are you pleased with what has, has turned out uh, as a film? I think the thing about documentaries is that they're not scripted. I mean, they're always a journey. And we knew that we wanted to make a, a film about the final. Um, and we knew that the players had these in, individually and collectively really rich and interesting backgrounds. But when you begin that process, you have no idea where, where it will end up. And so that's why some of those filming days were, you know, two days long. It's because there's so much to explore. There's, you know, the stuff they did in the game. There's their own personal backstory. There's the journey of the England team um, over four years. There's, a, you know, the story of the, the, the tournament itself. There's reflections on individual teammates or the coach or Strauss. You know, so that's why um, the interviews were long interviews and the film, as you know, was put together incrementally. And at no time did we ever have full oversight of what the eventual product would be like until it was made. So it's quite a nerve wracking journey. And as you know, better than most, trying to access players who are some of the busiest people on the planet because their international schedules is really tough and making a film through COVID is really tough and having to edit and film remotely is really tough. Um, so I think it was in some ways analogous maybe to England's journey to the final itself. It was kind of long. We thought it'd be a year. It took three years, you know, but here we are. And I think it's uh, a good reflection of the final itself. And I, I mean, my hope is that it honours the players who, uh, on both sides, who played such magnificent roles on the day, but also, like we said, you know, the people who've helped to forge that team, people like Strauss and Baylis, um, and also the people who helped the players on their individual journeys. It could be Johnny Besto's mum, or it could be, you know, Stevie Woody's coach, or it could be Claire Stokes, or whoever it is, those stalwarts who helped the players, you know, cross the line. Mm. Yeah, so just to give you some some idea of how the film lays out, plays out, it's really based around the final itself, which was a an incredible narrative of its own. And then within the final, we dip back into the stories of individual players when when it's appropriate. There is obviously also a backstory to the team itself. And actually, I'm just going to play you a, a short clip here of of how we sort of set up the film in a way, because the key architect, I suppose, of England's triumph in the end was Andrew Strauss, who came in as director of cricket in 2015 and totally revamped the captaincy and, and coaching setup. And so here he talks about what his ambitions were, who he wanted to be involved and what they brought to the table. So you'll hear from Strauss. You'll also hear from Trevor Bayliss and Owen Morgan and Woody himself. 2015 was one of the worst times of my life, to be honest. At the start of the World Cup, Alistair Cook was sacked as captain, and I was given the job. It was a huge honor, huge privilege, but what happened after that was an absolute disaster. Go 
aggressive. But we were playing a game of cricket that was so dated that we just couldn't compete. Andrew Strauss, as a director of cricket, was crucial to the reinvention of the team. The idea of an England team playing a fearless type of cricket, getting through to the final, playing out there on the home of cricket and lifting that World Cup. This was a huge opportunity for the game, but it was a long way off. We had to do something significantly different and navigate a new course for ourselves. There were just two things I was looking for. A coach who had a very strong white ball record and a coach who was willing to take a back seat. a little bit old school but I want to see the players play the game for the reasons they took it up in the first place. If you're happy and you're enjoying yourself, it takes the pressure off. Trevor Bayless, typical Aussie, sort of salt of the earth. I remember when I wasn't performing so well, I said, what do you want me to go away and work on? He said to me, I want you to have a bit more mongrel. I was like, mongrel? Like the dog with a bone, like never let go of it. You want it, you want it bad, and you'll do anything to get it. Owen had been dealt a very tough hand in the 2015 World Cup. Been sort of parachuted in right at the last moment. So I didn't want to judge him too harshly for that. You know, he, he had a calmness about him, a real calmness and a sort of silent authority. When he said he would like to keep me on, there was a huge feeling of relief. We were going to start with a blank page and that excited me. We wanted to play an aggressive, positive brand of cricket that made people smile and be proud. And so proud that you could you know, talk to your 11-year-old self and say, you know what, I went out today and tried to hit six sixes. It might not have worked, but I went out there and gave it everything. Okay, so there's a little encapsulation of how England rebuilt their team. Morgan, I think, is, is, is a fascinating character. Obviously, he's now out of the team. But going back to Ireland, taking him to his local community, uh, taking him to his, his parents, his father, that was, that was a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful experience. And it's, you know, this is why cricket is so fascinating. You know, there we are in the Republic of Ireland, the hotbed of the Easter Rising, and there's a t there's a cricket club in Rush, and you're like, what is that about? You know, that e even that in itself is really, really deeply fascinating. You know, so this is on the little coastline just outside just Dublin. outside Dublin, yeah. And um, you know, it's a, a small cricket club. I think was probably belonged to the local landlord, English, you know, expatriate landlord, maybe 100, 200 years ago. But anyway, there it remains, and 
you know, um, Owen, as Owen sort of says in the film, you know, people look at cricket slightly askance in Ireland, you know, because it is seen as the sport of the English, you know, colonial. But he, his dad, his entire family were cricket addicts. Um, and it was a bug that bit him early. And as you've seen in the film and, and we see in the film, you know, he used to play on this little concrete um, path next to a little row of uh, council houses where he grew up, you know, with, sounds like a pretty packed family, small house, big family, and would play from sun up till sun down. And, you know, we wander into the pub, the local pub with his dad, Jody, um, who's, you know, kind of tough Irish bloke, but gets quite emotional talking about Owen. And in the pub, you meet this amazing collection of kind of Irish lads who are absolutely full of it. And, uh, and they just sort of say, you know, as soon as Owen Morgan walked through that cricket club with a bat bigger than he was, they they knew he was a superstar. And, you know, on the beach, as you look out towards Ireland, um, Morgan, you know, Morgan reflects on the fact that, you know, as, as loads of us do, you know, you come from a small town, you think you'll never be anything. And you see loads of people with amazing promise who never quite realise that promise. Or whatever it was inside of him, this inner steel compelled him to make the most of his potential. And wow, didn't he go on to achieve that in spades? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So Morgan is, is a key uh, figure. And, and it's actually, the, the interesting thing is, what, what I always found fascinating about him, and I knew him when he was very young, was this sort of fearlessness that he had. And I suppose... And he kind of sort of reflects on it a little bit in in the film that coming from the south of Ireland, which was very sort of fairly anti-British, was it was hard to be a cricketer, and they often had to cross the border into Northern Ireland to play matches, and that kind of makes you almost quite, I suppose, brings a sort of extra well, resilience. Yeah, he talk, he talks about. Um, I mean, not in the film, but we talked. And you may well have talked to him about this, you know, going up as a kid during the later troubles, you know, and you drive up as a Catholic into Protestant areas in Northern Ireland because that's where they played uh, cricket uh, with your Irish plates. And there was always the fear that your car might get turned over and set on fire while you're playing a game. And you're like, well, where does resilience come from? You're like, well, that's a fairly good example, isn't it? But also, you know, with him, as with people like Jofra. You know, they they have to leave home at a fairly early age and they have to go to a new country and they have to compete, you know, uh, in the most, you know, formidable way to even get seen or heard or, or, or recognised. And I found on a personal level, Owen Morgan, you know, much better than I do, but to be a deeply impressive person, you know, um, you know, he's still only in his 30s, but I often felt like, you know, I'm in my early 40s. Uh, like I was talking to someone at least of my own age or older because there does seem to be this sort of maturity. Wisdom. Wisdom, mm. self-assurance, mm. you know. Uh, clarity. Conf clarity, confidence. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to understand, like I've often wondered what makes a great captain. And actually you just spend a couple of minutes in his company, you're like, well, that's it. Yeah. So I think it, we're already kind of touching on the kind of cultural aspects of the England team, which we tried to reflect. And 
uh, we've got Adil Rashid uh, uh, as a very strong character in the film, and he has a very strong Muslim faith. And I thought it was really interesting that he talks about the impact that his Muslim faith has had on his career. So here's a little clip from the film. We filmed him, by the way, in Bradford, in the mosque, in the Grand Mosque, where he often goes and prays. And this is a little sequence about how his career changed with the, the real discovery of Islam. You don't get time to get ready. I'm going to go four, five, six balls at a time. So my dad loved this cricket. Whatever he knew, he passed it on to me. He sacrificed everything. We have a game at nine o'clock. You know, we have to set off at seven. And he would be doing taxis at night. So he'd be finishing taxis maybe four or five in the morning. So maybe he'd have an hour's sleep. You know, take me to cricket, stay with me all day, and then and repeat that whole circle. I first broke through in 2009. I was 18. It's like a dream come true in, in terms of cricket. Mentally, you know, you have a bad game until the next time you perform well, you're really constantly thinking about it. You're really down. Didn't help my cricket, didn't help my lifestyle, didn't help anything. My belief of Islam. It was something at that time where I felt as though I needed as a Muslim, this was my belief, but I wasn't really practicing. That was probably the turning point of my life, I would say. My mindset now is completely different. You know, the purpose in life is pleasing God and making sure I'm a good Muslim, a good person. Cricket is something you give your 100% for but it's not anything beyond that. Whose idea was it to film in a mosque? It was fascinating. Um, I, I can't remember now. I, because I think was... that, to, to set the scene, it, the mosque, of course, is at the back of Bradford Park Avenue ground, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. it's got cricket and religion sort of almost juxtaposed. Yeah, it's, well, it's one of these beautiful and amazing cinematic experiences which may be something you don't associate with Bradford but you've got the cricket ground you've got the mosque you've got this you know Victorian industrial backdrop and then just behind there you've got the Yorkshire Moors so you've got everything all in one shot and I think you know the proximity cricket and faith obviously are synonymous with his life and there they sit together in one location and I think I think for us, thinking about the film, I, I've got this very vivid memory of being in Yorkshire in 2015 in a small cottage just after England had lost the World Cup. And my wife sort of saying to me, you know, oh no, why are you listening to that again? I'm like, well, you know, England will get beaten again. But it was this new look England team. And I that it was the first series against New Zealand, which they won. And as I listened to that series, I was getting more and more excited, more and more intrigued by this team, you know, like... Wow, they, they don't seem to be playing cricket like England. Who are these new names? And over the course of those four years, I think 
as you watched the team, you also felt it looked different and felt different, but I didn't really understand what that was. And I think it's going back to Rash. When we went to Bradford, you begin to understand what it was that was different, truly different about this team, which is that all of these people from all of these different backgrounds, countries of origin, different faiths, um, different classes, you know, all came together with their own really strong individual stories. And I feel it's not in the film because it's very difficult to quantify. But I think most of the, lots of the players talked anecdotally about the fact that they all had these very different sort of journeys. And actually in the key moments on a pitch or in a dressing room, if there's moments of high drama or it feels like a match is slipping away, people come at a moment of crisis with lots of different vantage points that can sometimes help with the problem solving. And I guess to go back to Rush's story, yeah, it was for me super interesting that, you know, he grew up in fairly modest background with a cricket mad dad who was a cab driver who worked all hours, you know, God sends, you know, and as Rash sort of said, would work all night till four o'clock in the morning, have an hour's sleep go and take Rash to a game and then just press repeat for 10 years, you know. And um, again, just an incredibly moving story. And for me, one of those, one of the images of the World Cup final is Rash's dad in his suit and flat cap, you know, <laughs> standing on the outfield at Lords, like almost incredulous with wonder that his son is holding the World Cup. And, you know, like even just talking about it makes me feel quite emotional, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, because I think the journey, that journey is Rash's, but it's also re replicated with loads of the players, you know, and I think that's hopefully what one of the films shows is these extraordinary emotional roller coasters that encompass not just the player themselves, but a family or a community. Mm. It's it's very much as a snapshot of modern Britain in, in many ways, isn't it, because of the cultural diversity. And actually, I, I really like the, the, the Rashid story, particularly from a cricketing perspective, because he's a leg spinner and leg spin is a very difficult art. We all know that. There's only really been one modern master, the, the late Shane Warne. And the reason why it's so difficult to master, I think, is because, firstly, it, it's wrist spin, which is very fickle and, and, and difficult to control. But also, because it's difficult to control, you tense up. And if it goes wrong, it can go horribly wrong. You bowl head eye full tosses and long ops and you get smacked everywhere and the captain takes you off. So it can be a very nerve-wracking thing to bowl. And what Rashid said was that when he first came into the England side, young, only 19, 20, he had a very erratic sort of experience and he put himself under so much pressure when he then discovered Islam properly and started praying and wanted to be a good Muslim, he said that in a way he relaxed and that enabled his cricket to sort of do his own talking. He didn't get tense when he bowled. He knew that some days it wasn't going to go as well as other days, but he knew that he was a good person and a good Muslim. And that was the most important thing. And his, his cricket was allowed to flourish as a result. So, so a great story that. Um, and obviously the final itself... <laughs> had an exceptional uh, climax or several climaxes, really. And I, I think, you know, the great thing about this game, this final, was it did have so many aspects of what makes cricket a great game. We called the film the greatest game partly because the final was a great game, but also because we think cricket is a great game. And because it, it the final encapsulated many of those aspects of cricket, you know, an individual sport within a team game, 
um, the drama and sort of almost unfathomable nuance that it throws up, like Stokes diving and the ball ricocheting for four overthrows and the Trent Bolt standing on the rope, things like that. The beauty and brutality of the game, you know, was really reflected in that final. So, and, and I suppose it all came to that amazing climax, which you and the editor, Owen Davis, portrayed almost in a sort of slow motion, slightly dreamlike way. Can you explain that? Well, I, th- I think that, you know, as you've sort of said, I mean, cricket is this sort of almost like crystalline sport in my mind. So it sort of reflects and refracts things. Like we've said, it can be things in the immediate moment. It can be much deeper stories. It can be, you know, like the history of empire. You can look into cricket and find all sorts of things. It could be about faith. It can be about class. It can be, you know, it can be about the history of a team or, you know, it could be about body life. That's the joy and glory of cricket, isn't it? It's sort of the profound depth that exists at any one moment. And one of those depths is also, or one of the things about cricket, not just cricket, but other sports as well, but I think particularly in cricket, is that sometimes it it is the most ferocious activity. And there are other moments when the entire world holds its breath. You know, and as I think think NASA says, or, or Ian Smith in the final, you know, the entire country is hiding behind its sofa. And you get that feeling... And you can obviously in the film you see the crowds in Trafalgar Square, like the you know, and lords and pubs and clubs up and down the country and in New Zealand who are just literally sitting there, and time is standing still. And obviously, one of the things you can you know we did in filming is you sort of want to isolate the moment. You want to isolate what the players are feeling at any given moment. You want to isolate the moment of drama when Joffre stands there holding the ball knowing that he's the newbie in the team that these guys have been there for four years that he's effectively ousted one of the stalwarts of the team having only played you know a handful of international matches now the future of the team its place in history is contingent upon what he does in that moment and i think that that's hopefully what the film does is it just slows things down so we can appreciate the drama the individual and collective drama that was gripping the team the ground the nation and sort of the cricketing loving community across the world who were watching that game including me in Hyderabad. Stephen Fry has received an early copy of the film which we screened to a few people on Wednesday night and Thank you to all of the investors, by the way, who invested in it as well, which we couldn't have done this without. And lovely email, isn't it, from Stephen Fry? Um, He says, it's as much a triumph as the match itself. I honestly think it's the best film about a single sporting encounter that I've ever seen. Without getting poncily technical or pretentious, the rhythm of it, the cutting, the pacing, it's all so inspired and so brilliantly managed. What a celebration of cricket itself, of personality, of team building, of the fate, fortune and madly contingent hinges on which an outcome can swing. Seriously, it's a magnificent achievement and I so especially want people who don't really get cricket to watch it and see the richness, depth and endless rewards that the game gives. It must be very very satisfying to to hear that kind of thing from a... uh, 
you know, a piece of work which you've worked day and night on for three years? Well, the objective was, you and I went to the pub probably more than we should have done, drank slightly too much red wine than we should have done, and most of the conversations were about the fact that, to us, cricket is the greatest sport on the planet. But it seems troublingly and puzzlingly under-resourced in terms of great films. It doesn't... You know, there are some great cricket films and some films I really love. I love Fire in Babylon, you know, I think The Edge is a great film, Death of a Gentleman. But it didn't seem... Cricket didn't seem to have its film, which was mainstream, which was triumphal, which was sort of passionate, which was dramatic, which was moving and which sort of revealed the richness of the sport and the people who play it. And the objective of, you know, our conversations over many, many years were how do you make that film? We toss loads of ideas around and then obviously eventually comes along this final. And I feel, to be honest with you, that probably against all the odds because we tried to get a film off the ground, nobody seemed interested, we went down a different route and found about 40 or 50 amazing people who would give us just enough money to make it you know i mean they were incredibly generous but the money was it's a low budget film really um and yeah and then we made it in covid and we made it with these incredibly busy people and we made it in tiny little increments so it was kind of built like a little jigsaw puzzle over three years and the fact that stephen fry who i love seems to think that we've achieved our aim is enormously gratifying. Well, I, I just want to say, you know, publicly a huge thank you to you because I think cricket is is very lucky to have someone like you who has the experience and knowledge and skill as a director that you have. And you've put so much passion and energy and time into this and that the output, the outcome is is exceptional. Uh, so, you know, thank you for, for putting your heart and soul into this project. And it's released on Sky Sports straight after the England-Sri Lanka game on Saturday, the 5th of November at midday, and then repeated on Sunday at 5pm on Sky Sports. And it's also on Sky right. Documentaries as well on the 6th of November at 5pm and the 7th of November, Monday the 7th of November at 9pm. And then it will be repeated again uh, a few days later, but those dates are set in stone. So Saturday the 5th after the Sri Lanka game and on Sunday and Monday on Sky Sports Cricket and also Sky Documentaries. And of course, thank you to Sky for, for taking it up and, and, and showing it. Uh, so hope you enjoy it. Hope you look at, can download it or, or watch it when, when you have time. I think you will enjoy it and be really rewarded by it. Maybe keep a, a, a box of tissues nearby because you might uh, shed the odd tear during it and a as bottle well. of champagne and a bottle of champagne absolutely right uh, and of course it is a great celebration of one of england's finest sporting achievements so it really has a, a fantastic climax and in the second half of this show we're going to hear from one of its stars mark wood about some of the aspects of the film that he takes part in and also how the hell he's been able to bowl at 96 mile an hour for most of this tournament It's K. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, while we we're recording that conversation, Australia were slowly and not very certainly beating Afghanistan in Adelaide which means, of course, that England do have to beat Sri Lanka to progress to the semi-finals of the World T20. No doubt watching that game was Mark Wood in his Sydney hotel after attending training at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and that's when I caught up with him. One of the uh, lovely scenes in our film is you talking about experiencing the final when England were batting and the tense moments, sitting on a washing machine, what are your yeah. What are your memories of that? Well, exactly that. That I couldn't. I couldn't sit still. Um, I'm a terrible watcher, and I don't like watching the live play. We've just turned up at um, Brisbane, actually, coincidentally in the 2020 World Cup, and in Brisbane, I watched the first ball live. And I know I normally don't do this. I thought this is iconic. I'll watch the first ball live, and Rory Burns got bowled, and I never watched another ball after that. And the World Cup final was actually very similar. I didn't like to watch any of it live, so I went in the back room where the physios are at Lord's. The dressing room, it's like down the hallway, and there's another sort of separate physio room where um, players go. And I was in there originally, and then we lost a couple of wickets, so I moved to the next room where Phil Neal, our team manager, was on a a, um, what bike just doing some exercise. And he had to tell me to move. He said, oh, what are you making me nervous? You've got to move out of here, because I was walking around um, the blocks on the floor and I was trying not to stand on a crack for superstition. Um, so I got shifted out of that room. Then I went somewhere else. I went back to the dressing room and then eventually the only place I could find was sort of behind the dressing room is the washrooms where um, obviously rhinos and then in the back is like a um, shower, bath and a dressing room attendant room which has the washing machine, his little office, everything like that. So I went in the office and sat, sat there but there was a couple of guys in there. One was sat in a seat um, and another one. So I jumped on the washing machine. And of course, then the dressing room attendant was coming in trying to wash clothes and started the washing machine as I was still sat on it. But that was the only place I could get there where we had a partnership where it wasn't my fault if we lost a weight. And of course, you have that sort of superstitious thing in the dressing room, don't you, where you can't move? Uh, you've got to exactly. step you're sort of well, somewhere. You move. Yeah, but if you're doing well, you don't dare move. So every time we were losing wickets and they were happening pretty or felt pretty quick, um, especially when you can hear out of the Lord's dressing room with the windows open at the back. There was two different types of chairs. There was one which was like a raw, which was obviously for us, and then one which was like a um, like huh. a softer like a softer chair. And that was when New Zealand, there seemed to be a lot of them early on. So I was just trying to find somewhere where 
um, it couldn't possibly be my superstitious fault if we didn't lose a wicket and the washing machine was pretty lucky for a while. Where where are you hanging out in this tournament then? You know, where do you sit in the dressing room? Obviously, you're playing at different grounds. Where's your sort of favourite yeah. spot? Um, well, at the minute, it's just in the dressing room because we, we have it on the TV. We mute the TV. We don't have the commentary on, but we watch on the TV. So it's just in the dressing room looking at the TV. Adil Rashid's obviously normally next to me. Um, Chris Walks. I mean, the bowlers, we, we're constantly chatting early on about how the pitch is doing or what the ball's doing or, you know, this is working or that's working. And then, of course, you get later in the innings, you start to think, oh, we're going to need my pads on. We, we lose about two wickets. And I'm, I'm already thinking, right, I need to get my box on, which is, uh, which all the lads take the mickey out me for. But um, yeah, me and, me and Rash are particularly nervous watchers as well. So at least in this, uh, in this team as well, I've got another partner in crime. Another uh, nice line in the in the film is uh, Trevor Bayliss talking about uh, when you asked him what you needed to, to to add to your game, and he talks about having a bit more mongrel, mm. uh, which is the sort of you know, dog with a bone thing. Um, do you think you've got that now? I mean, bowling ninety six mile an hour rockets. Um, yeah, I think whether he thought that in practice I was just being a bit too nice, or um, you know. I just, the point that I think Trevor made a great point, but it was more the fact that, look, when you've got your spot, you don't let it go. There's no, you know, because I was always like trying to be a good team guy or um, wanted to be like, um, I guess, thought that, you know, my spot was there or whatever. He wanted to make sure that I'd, I had it nailed down and that once you've got it, don't let it go. And I think I went away, I led them my run up. Um, I was in and out the team before that and didn't quite perform to the potential or standard that I probably should have. Um, so then I changed my run-up. I changed the way I practised. I was the um, I didn't bowl for as long in the nets, but when I did bowl in the nets, I bowled fiery and as, as um, properly. Or you, you never bowl 100% in the nets, but closer to 80, 90% and say 60, 70%, which I was probably doing before. Um, and, and got that drive where I was like, had a little bit more, I guess, focus on myself and that inner mongrel of, look, this is your spot. This is your um, time. You know, don't give it away. Don't take it for granted. And, um, you know, I thought that when I asked Trevor, he might give me some sort of technical advice or something that, but actually it, to probably, which hurt me a little bit, would have been, he was sort of questioning, I guess, in a way, an attitude thing. And I've always thought of someone that, you know, I want to have a good attitude. I want to impress people. I want to do well. I, I have an inner belief in myself. So if I summon a question that, you know, that'd give me more drive to get better and, and push myself even harder. I mean, you're incredible. You, you've had, I don't know, 15 ankle operations. And obviously this sort of very bad elbow injury last year and, you know, the last few months. And you come back... And you're now bowling 96 miles an hour quite consistently. How the hell have you done it? Um, consistency um, in the method that, you know, before bowling, so beforehand I'll get a good physio, good strength work to make me more robust, um, keep my fitness levels high. So I work a lot of my fitness. But what um, sorts of things? I mean, can you give a sort of specific? Yeah. So, so from from a physio point of view, it's often soft tissue work on basically my ankle. I don't tend to get massages on, you know, hamstrings, back, quads. 
I don't get a flush. It's very specific, right? I know what my ankle needs. I get good taping. I look after my shoes and my insoles now better than I ever have. Um, you know, I'm always, there is times where I'm still obviously going to get injured, but I think the consistency in which I get the physio, do the strength work, which is all power-based. So it's um, on the morning of a 2020, we do priming. And priming is basically getting your muscles ready to go fast. So um, it's a short, sharp jumping session, things like um, um, weights where you can push them nice and quickly um, and get yourself prepared. A couple of days out, I do a proper strength session. This is all around my glutes, my hips, my core, all to keep me in a, a strong position. Um, and then finally, sprinting. So sprinting the day before a game. And whenever we're not bowling, it'll be just doing some you know, running where you might work at a deficit. So 60 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or two minutes on, one minute off. And all this over a long period of time, lengthening my run-up, taking pressure off my ankle, good strapping, good physio, good fitness, eating well, the little one percent as um have all helped me, you know, gain that extra couple of miles. Now I think my action now is is different to how I first started. I think at times I was concerned about looking after my ankle. Um so I would try and be a bit more mechanical or I was working out ways with bowling coaches how I could take stress off. Now that I've gotten a place where my ankle's a little bit better. I trust in my ankle. I think whatever will be, will be. So I just give it everything I've got for a certain amount of time. And um, my actions go back to something that's probably a bit more natural, a bit more fluid. Um, and I try and keep it very simple. I try and I've got a little bit more of a curve on my action. I run in a little bit further. Um, I probably am a bit more rotated than when you first, if you first watch me, I'm a bit more front on and a bit more mechanical. Um, and I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to do slower balls. I'm trying to work on hitting hard length. I'm trying to move the red ball. So I think having that inner belief, that drive to constantly try and get better and just once you bowl fast and you know it's in there. And even now, people are asking me, do you think you can bowl 100 miles an hour? And I do, I personally don't think I'm in that bracket. I don't think I'm in the show back to Brett Lee, Sean Tidd. I think they're above me and they bowl too quick. But what I do think is I can bowl consistently over 90 miles an hour. And I th even now, people say, oh, well, you bowled over 140. I think I can bowl every ball over 145 if I, if, if I can get everything aligned with my action, with um, the, the landing, if that's good. Um, I feel I can be more consistently quicker. Amazing story. And, and it just shows the dedication and, and determination that, that you have. What about when you actually produce that 96 mile an hour delivery? You know, do you look up at the scoreboard and see the speed? And do you actually feel sometimes that the fastest one isn't necessarily the one you've tried the hardest to bowl? Yep. Yeah, um, a mixture. Sometimes I'll see it. Sometimes I would. Sometimes obviously it's on the big screen and it comes up. Last delivery was uh, 150 kilometers or 92 or 93. Um, then there'll be other times where I'll come off the field and I'll score. He pulled one at 96 mile an hour. And I wasn't sure. I mean, the, there was a ball I pulled at Glenn Phillips the other day that nearly got him out first ball on the inside edge for four. Now I knew from the timing of my action and the release of the ball, well, that was a fast ball. Just literally from, it's an, it, it's hard to describe to someone that is just looking at outwardly, but inwardly you have this feeling where you land, the timing's there, you have the whip, the snap, everything just seems to be aligned. I've talked about this before, but it's the sort of chinks of a chain. When every chink is aligned and then the last little one, boom, it flies out your hand almost like a whip. Um, and that's when you can really feel it. But um, 
It's funny, isn't it? It's hard like, to control it, isn't it, in a way? I mean, it's sort of almost when you do... You've got to have a drive to ball fast, though, as well, Hughes. You've got to, you, have the, you have to have a drive to ball fast. Like, the, there's times where, you know, the, I'll walk back and I think, oh, that was a poor ball or, um, oh, I feel a bit tired. But then the next ball, it's when you're, when you're at the back of that market, your head's on thinking, right, this is going to be an absolute rocket. Come on, uh, pick your legs up, running hard, drive towards the target, give it everything you've got. I think that in a bit in me is always trying to prove people wrong. I proved to myself I can do it. So I wasn't like, I was a late developer. Um, I've been questioned before. So I always have a feel like I've got a point to prove. And I think that's part of help, which part of that helps me to bowl fast because I'm always thinking, right, well, I'll show you next ball, I'm going to bowl a rocket or I'm never going to give up. I'll never give up. I'll never give up. And you've got to want to bowl fast as well as all the technical stuff. And I mean, does it give you a thrill when you see that that speed up there? You know, the the high 150. It depends how they play it. It depends how they play it. If it's on the ground, then not really. Um, I think that's that's the other thing now is that unless it's high pace, even the best players play high pace well. They're used to these dog sticks. They can fly. Um, you got all the protective gear. You play so much cricket nowadays. That batters aren't actually that scared of the ball, especially top quality ones. So you've either got to be accurate with it or you've got to move the ball at pace as well. So um, they're things that I'm trying to work on, accuracy and, you know, movement of the ball. But, you know, that that's out of my control at the minute. I'm trying to get better. I am where I am at the minute. But it's great when the speed comes up and you think this is making a difference or... I think sometimes when you bowl at that speed, you think, right, I can get a wicket here or I feel I can get a wicket, especially if it's a new batsman because no one likes starting against it. But there is times it can work against you where people are in. And sometimes it feels like it's easier to score. I know that's weird, but, you know, you feel like you bowl a good ball and just like anybody, it disappears. So um, it's a double-edged sword. Who, who do you like bowling at in the nets the most? Who kind of fires you up the most? Stone. Um, well, I've learned, I've learned from bowling at Stokesy over the years that if you pitch it up, it can come back at you pretty hard. So um, I've got to be sort of a good length of battle length and then he hits it square, which sort of gives me a chance to get out of the way. Um, you know, in this, in this particular team, Mo and Ali makes it look easy. Um, even when you're bowling high pace, then he's still, his natural timing and flow of his bat makes you feel like you're bowling 30 mile an hour at him. So he he's one that, when you're bowling them, you're like, oh, for God's sake, when my, when my name's on the team sheet next to his, bowling them in the nets, you think, oh, can I pick someone else? Stevie, your coach from Ashington, you 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 talk about him a lot in the film, and he's uh, obviously a very strong presence. How, is he still, is he still helping you? Yeah, he still texts me. Um, he texted me the other day. Um, it's, it's funny because he used to obviously call me Woody or, or whatever. Well, since we've won the World Cup, he now calls me champ, morning champ, which is uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's still looking. Oh, that looked great. Or um, was it so good the day? Was it or stuff like that? So he, you know, he he might not have played at international level, but he's a keen follower of the game. I trust someone I trust. He played at a good sign himself at, at minor county level. So he knows about the game, and I think he knows people well, and because he's done coaching for so many years. So it, he is good to tap into. Um, you might not know the ins and outs of what's going on. Sometimes I tell him, so um, he gets a better idea. But he's got a good cricket brain, and um, when he what he says a lot of the time, and this is you know advice for anybody. Some people might tell you nine 
things out of 10 that you might just pass off and say, look, you're listening, but I'm not quite, in your own mind, you're not quite sure that that's going to help, but you're not quite sure that that's going to um, be right for you. But then they say one thing that if you hold that little nugget, you think, you know what, that's that's very relevant or that's, you know, that that could help. Or So I definitely think Stevie's one of them where he's got a keen interest in the game and he often just gives that one little nugget that you can take away and think, yeah, you're absolutely right, or a bit of confidence or um, something that resonates in you from when I was a kid, like never give up, that kind of thing. He'll often say stuff like that, which is great. And I think actually that the film, the, the, the documentary film, actually does really reflect the importance of people like Stevie in the development of, of, of all of you guys. Just looking quickly ahead, Sydney, how's that going to play when you play tomorrow against Sri Lanka? Well, to use pitch, so um, we're hoping we're also on farm one side. So you've got a big boundary one side and a short boundary there. It's going to need some different skills, I think, from everybody. Um, again, adapt during the game, see how it's playing. And, you know, all, I think as long as we stick to our plan here and then we can adapt from there, if, we all, if we're already thinking, oh, it's going to play like this or there's a short side, then you can get lost and, and end up bowling all over the place. So from our point of view, stick to plan here and adapt during the game if there is a bit of turn or if we have to bowl to the longer side, then we'll do that. Um, but we can't look, you know, past Sri Lanka. This is an important game. We've got to win this game. The New Zealand game we knew was a knockout game. This is a knockout game. So it's, it's very similar to the 2019 World Cup. And it's like four games to win the World Cup. So this is game two of four to win, to win the World Cup. Has it been very difficult kind of a tournament because it's been so, you know, scattered around Australia, bad weather, etc. Has it been quite hard to find any rhythm? Um. The only thing I've struggled with is, is the landings have been quite slippy, which is not like Australia at all. Usually it's quite hard and uh, dry, but actually the clear underneath has been quite wet. So when I've been landing, I've been sliding a lot, which sometimes, like I've mentioned before, it, it knocks your timing off and your rhythm. But it, in terms of how I've bowled, I think I've done okay. Um, I'm hoping to still try and get a few more wickets. But as a group, um, you know, we've won, we've, we lost that poor match against Ireland, which was a, a good eye-opener and one that we talked about in depth. That wasn't like us. Um, but the other games, you know, we're still not reached our peak and we can even play better. We played really well against New Zealand. It was a passionate game. And um, you could tell the desire and the intensity went up. Um, and that's we've got to match that intensity and desire in the last few games. Well, very good luck. And it's been Thank thrilling you, watching you, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Well, there's Mark Wood sounding typically sparky on the eve of their big game against Sri Lanka at the SCG on Saturday morning our time. And as I said at the start, the documentary The Greatest Game is out immediately afterwards. In fact, if I give you those times again, uh, it's played on Saturday the 5th of November uh, midday on Sky Sports Cricket and on the 6th at 8pm and on the 12th of November at 9pm. But it's also on Sky Documentaries on Sunday the 6th, that's this weekend, at 5pm and on Monday the 7th. 9pm. We're very excited that it's coming out and uh, hopefully you really enjoy it. And thank you to all the players actually for all their contributions. They were absolutely fantastic. Okay, well good luck to England on Saturday morning and we'll speak to you straight after that game and thanks for listening.
Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.